Well, how would you describe the year 2020? Do you describe it as a, a peaceful year? Uh, no, not so much. Uh, it's been a year of uh, upset, right? We've had concerns about COVID, concerns about cases of police brutality, of killings, of riots, of vandalism, of looting, concerns about the impact uh, of COVID, which includes financial, emotional, educational consequences to the response of COVID, uh, the upheaval of the presidential election. And then, of course, here in Bay County, uh, we continue to recover from a natural disaster, Hurricane Michael. And um, this hurricane season gave us a little bit of uh, cause for concern itself, didn't it? The most active hurricane season, 30 named storms, 13 hurricanes, six major hurricanes. And in addition to this, whatever else is going on in your life that may cause upheaval, may have caused upheaval in 2020. For me personally, I lost my father in May. Some of you've lost family members. Some of you've had financial difficulties, uh, perhaps marital challenges, family challenges, um, all kinds of things going on. And most of all, most important thing is some of you might say, well, I don't feel like I've had peace with God. Uh, And that is, of course, the most important thing, that you have peace with God. How many of us would say something like, if only I could have the year 2020 repeated forever, I would have eternal peace. How about that? Because that's a never-ending 2020. Well, I've got good news for you. We have a king of peace, and that king of peace is going to bring about a never-ending world of peace. And you can know that king of peace right now. Our text today is Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, and Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And... uh, In the first passage, we've got the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary and saying, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It will be an everlasting kingdom. Now, what's the... uh, What's that everlasting kingdom going to be like? How will it be characterized? Well, we turn to the prophet Isaiah. He prophesied about King Jesus and his coming. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. We find here that, is a, that he is described as the everlasting father in the ancient Near East culture. Oftentimes they would refer to kings by the term, by the, by the word father. Everlasting father, prince of peace. Um, and you'll notice here some of you students... And some of us that remember what we learned about poetry, 
uh, when we were growing up, the ABBA pattern. Uh, we find a similar thing in the Hebrew here. Uh, the English translation covers it well. Everlasting Prince of Peace, of his peace, there will be no end. It'll be everlasting, right? So there's a real emphasis here on the nature of the kingship of Jesus Christ, that it would be an everlasting kingdom that would bring about peace. Now, what does it mean to bring about peace? And some of you students of the Bible know the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and that that word, many of you will know, also conveys um, deeper things than our simple word peace. Oftentimes when we speak of peace in the English language, we're thinking simply of the cessation of conflict or wars ceasing, or we might think of internal peace. But there are uh, many uh, other deeper meanings in the Hebrew. And so, the, for instance, the lexicon, Hebrew lexicon, Brown, Driver, and Briggs gives six different uh, meanings for shalom. And here they are. The first is completeness. The second is safety, soundness in body. The third is welfare, health, prosperity. The fourth is peace, quiet, trans- tranquility, contentment. The fifth is peace from war. The sixth is peace related to friendship, and that can be either in human relations or it can be peace with God in our covenantal relationship that we have with God. Now, to be sure, every time we see the word peace in the Old Testament, we're not to think necessarily that that every context has all six of these, but all six of these are found within the Old Testament. And sometimes we do see that full-orbed shalom mentioned in uh, the Bible. One example of that is Leviticus chapter 26, verses 3 through 12. This is the Israelites have been uh, rescued, ransomed from uh, their slavery in Egypt, and God brings them into the desert and gives them the law and uh, says, you are my people, and as my people, I'm delivering this law to you. And so he says this, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. And I will give you peace, shalom, in the land. And you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword." Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Shalom, peace, that God will bring about. What is eternal peace? 
we find eternal peace referred to near the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ, the King of Peace, will bring about this everlasting peace. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. <clears throat> Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Not just a new year, but a new eternity. The prophet Isaiah referred to this as well. In verses 11, 6 through 9, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. <clears throat> so what's your hope of experiencing that eternal peace? Well, do we achieve this eternal peace by focusing on ourselves? You know, the eagles sang about a peaceful, easy feeling. And uh, Boston, the group, said, people are living in competition. All I want is to get my peace of mind, is to have my peace of mind. Well, there's value in examining ourselves. There's value in self-help. Uh, self-help books can teach us things about ourselves. <clears throat> but that's not how we experience eternal peace with God. Instead, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, by focusing on reconciliation with someone else. Jesus said this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So the path forward of knowing eternal peace is knowing the King of Peace, Jesus Christ. He has come to give you peace. <clears throat> Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So the king of peace came to give his life so that you might receive forgiveness of sins through the payment that he made in the cross and in his perfect life on your behalf. That you might be what? That you might be reconciled to God because we were enemies of God. Jesus Christ came for that purpose, to bring about peace with God. And in order to do that, there needs to be reconciliation. In order for there to be any reconciliation with anybody, whether it's God or anybody else, there needs to be 
forgiveness. The Rwandan genocide started in 1994. It was a government-run program by the Hutu ethnic majority, and it was aimed at wiping out every member of the Tutsi minority, and it resulted in the death of 800,000 Tutsis. And uh, before they uh, were able to overthrow through a rebel group, and then 100,000 Hutus were also killed. 14 years after this, CNN came to investigate what was going on in Rwanda and how things had changed, if any, since the genocide. And I'll just call her uh, Mrs. M. I'm not going to try to pronounce her name. Um, Mrs. M, uh, her husband's, uh, Mrs. M's husband and five of her children were killed in an attack by the Hutus. Um, among those that killed her family were um, her neighbors um, that she knew. And uh, one of those neighbors was, uh, I'll call him Mr. B. And 14 years after the fact, Mr. B and Mrs. M were reconciled. So much so that um, Mr. B would come at times to eat with uh, Mrs. M, and Mr. B's wife was one of her good friends. So here's how uh, the CNN article describes what happened. Mr. B spent seven years in jail. Uh, The government decided that the master planners and the worst perpetrators would face formal justice, but lower-level killers would be allowed to publicly confess and apologize to their families, to the families of their victims, and speak at special courts set up for such a purpose, where elders would hear grievances and decide on punishments. Mr. B said, in this special court, I told them how we killed our fellow men And I asked for forgiveness in front of the court, and the whole district was there. Mrs. M admits that it was difficult to forgive. She said she did not speak to Mr. B or his wife for four years after the killings. What put her on the road to healing, she said, was the special court process. It has not just helped me, it has helped all Rwandans because someone comes and accepts what he did, and he asks for forgiveness from the whole community, from all Rwandans, she said. And Mr. B did just that. He said, you go in front of people, like we're standing here, and I ask for forgiveness. Despite his confession and apology, uh, Mrs. M said, reconciliation would not have happened unless she had decided to open her heart and accept his pleas. She said, I am a Christian, and I pray a lot. Mr. B said, it hurts my heart to see that I did something wrong to friends of my family, to people who we even shared meals with. I am still asking for forgiveness from the people I hurt. And then the CNN writer concludes, amazingly, many seem to have forgiven. So in order to have reconciliation with a party, with a person, there must be Forgiveness, but it's not simply forgiveness. I say that because you can forgive uh, someone and yet there's not reconciliation in the relationship. I heard of another uh, encounter, another person who was a college student at the time of the Rwandan genocides, and her family uh, had family members that were killed, and 
the person that perpetrated those killings never apologized uh, to this college student, and yet she said that she forgave the person who committed these crimes. Now, uh, she's forgiven that person, and that's good, but there's not reconciliation between those parties. They're not sharing meals together. And some of you know the pain that others have caused you personally, and perhaps that you've caused others. And you're called to forgive. But that doesn't mean that necessarily there's reconciliation. But forgiveness is a huge and necessary step. You know, we can forgive and there can be detente, right? To use that old term, there can be uh, a ceasing of hostility. It doesn't mean that there is a restoration of fellowship. To be reconciled to another individual, another person, there needs to be an admission of what was wrong, an admission of guilt, a request for forgiveness, and if possible, a restitution made. And we have a problem with God, naturally, as we come into this world, as we live in this world. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2 says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So what is your response to be? It's to admit your sin, to admit your guilt, that you deserve not only uh, punishment eternally, but to be alienated from God for eternity. And your sin is evidence of your hostility in your heart towards God. Now, you might say, Pastor, uh, I don't feel like my, in my heart I have hostility to God. To be honest, I don't think about God a whole lot. Uh, as one college student put it to me uh, when I was a campus minister at Florida State, hey, this is how I you know, live and let live. God does his thing and I do my thing. But the Bible says that when we sin, when we violate God's law, It's a sign of something in our hearts, of hostility with God. So let me just read through the Ten Commandments, refresh our memories a little bit here. This is just kind of a summary of God's law. And ask yourself, you know, in word, in thought, and in action, uh, have I violated these things? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image and worship them. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false, false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet, covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything That is, your neighbors. And insofar as you've committed these sins, these offenses in thought and in word and in action, this is an evidence of hostility in your heart. Enter Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. The king has come and he has offered his life that you might be reconciled, that you might have peace with God because he took the payment that you deserve to take. He, in the court of God, was the one that paid the penalty. And you receive forgiveness of sins. You receive his righteous record. God says that he died the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So what must we do? What must we do in the rec- process of reconciliation, what, what we must do is simply confess our sins, admit our guilt, admit our hostility, turn from them, ask for forgiveness, and put our faith in what Jesus has accomplished in his life and his death. And the Bible says that simply, God has done everything that needs to be done. We simply need to own our problem, confess it, and trust in Jesus Christ, our King of peace, to give us peace with God and ultimately eternal peace. You know, the angels uh, came to the shepherds, as we've uh, no doubt thought about over the past month, and uh, we have this recording of of what the angels said in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You know, the the Bible calls the gospel at times the gospel of peace, the the good news of peace. We've sung Christmas carols, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? God and sinners reconciled. That's the gospel of peace. That's the good news. That's what the angels came to herald at the coming of King Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Everything's been done. You simply must admit, confess, repent, and receive through faith that reconciliation that Jesus has purchased for you. You know, it's a new year, but January 1st is just another day on the calendar unless all things are new, unless God has made things new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As the great preacher George Whitfield said to a friend of his in a letter, 
the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone and not our doings or sufferings can recommend us to the Father. So believe it. And for some of you, this might be the first time that you are reconciled to God, that you fully understand and admit your hostility toward God and confess your sins and put your faith in Jesus and receive the forgiveness of sins. And not only the forgiveness of sins, but reconciliation, that your relationship with God is at peace and you'll experience that presence of God starting now and in fullness for all eternity. But maybe some of us have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, but we need to examine our lives today and ask in what ways is my life showing hostility toward God even still? What do I need to repent of um, and, and go to God and confess before him? And understand, uh, the Bible says that uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins uh, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And with that, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the way that you have provided for us uh, even all that is necessary for us to be forgiven through the payment of Jesus Christ on the cross for our, the penalty of our sins. And we thank you that, we can, we can, uh, that we're loved by you even when we were enemies, that you've done all that. And I pray that you would encourage us in that reality, uh, that this new year would be uh, a new beginning for some that have never known what it means to be reconciled with you, that they might know that new creation in Jesus Christ, and that all of us who have been reconciled through faith in Christ, would, um, that you would be working in our hearts, showing us where we are living still in hostility towards you that we might confess that and trust in the, the reality that Jesus has accomplished all in forgiving our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now uh, let us continue to worship him by singing uh, one uh, verse of Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Let's stand and sing together.